Hey, I would encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. There is a YouVersion Bible app event for this that you can follow along on. Matthew chapter 6, we're in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you know we've been kind of following this through, verse by verse, or section by section would be a better way to say it. And in this particular section, in this particular place, Jesus actually gives us a model of what prayer looks like. He gives us the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to ask you, I know you just got comfortable, but I'm going to ask you, if you're comfortable doing so, to say the Lord's Prayer with me. So if you don't mind, I don't know if you want to put your masks back on, and if you don't mind standing, we're going to say the Lord's Prayer together. I have the text on the screen for you. That's not because I don't think you don't know it, but uh, as you're standing, uh, some of us just uh, maybe aren't as familiar with it as others. Uh, We're going to say it with um, trespasses, okay? Let's say it together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. That's pretty cool, wasn't it? And those of you that are maybe from a Lutheran background or Presbyterian or another more high church background, you're like, wow, that felt good. We should do that every Sunday, right? Uh, Because you're very accustomed to doing it. We're going to be looking at this uh, passage. I want to remind you, though, of the context that this prayer falls in. It falls in the context of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is actually, if you remember when we began, the Sermon on the Mount is actually, you might say, about resistance. In fact, if you, like William Shankster, consider preaching an art form, you could say the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is preaching is resistance art. You know what resistance art is. Uh, Crosby, Stills, and Ash and Young, after those students were shot, those four students were shot at Kent State University, they sang Ohio. That was resistance art for dead in Ohio. And then uh, Leonard Skinner, when he was looking, they were looking rather, at people around them who were dying of drug overdose, they sang a resistance art song. They sang The Needle and the Spoon, Don't Mess with the Needle or the Spoon or Any Trip to the Moon. That was resistance art. And then there's 20 Years a Slave by Solomon Northrup, or is it 12 Years a Slave? It's Too Many Years a Slave by Solomon Northrup. And that's literature that is resistance art. Well, Jesus is kind of preaching a resistance sermon. He is resisting the way that fallen humankind is viewing the world. He resists their viewpoint of life, our viewpoint of life, and he's saying that actually, and remember we talked about this when we began the Sermon on the Mount, actually, we kind of have it backwards. Remember the illustration with the screwdriver? It's like when you're using a screwdriver on something that's right in front of you, it's easy, righty-tighty, lefty-loosey. But when you get yourself underneath something, you're reaching around the back, and that screwdriver's kind of pointing at you, which way do I turn that? You have to turn it backwards to get it to go forwards. That's kind of what we've done with life, with the world. We have it backwards. And Jesus is trying to turn our hearts back toward the kingdom. He's giving us a kingdom perspective. Everything in the kingdom seems backward to most people, but that's only because everything in this fallen world is what is backwards. And Jesus, as he's talking, as he's preaching, he comes to this place where he wants to give us an example. He wants to actually give us a lesson of how prayers look, how they sound in the kingdom. Now, before he actually gives us the example, Jesus explains how kingdom people pray, first by saying some things they don't do. First, kingdom prayers are not to inform God of anything. 
in ancient religions, that was the case. Hey, I need to inform you of this. We've got this problem. I'd like you to wake up and take care of this problem, if you would, O oh God of the mountains, or whatever God uh, they might have worshipped. And then they need to kind of convince him to act. Jesus is letting us know that that's backward, that you don't need to inform God of anything because he's God. And he knows everything. He's omniscient. And so Jesus says, right in our passage that you opened two moments ago in verse 7, when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So as a resident of the kingdom of this world, you know that you have to work in this world really hard to get the attention of people in power. For example, maybe you'd like to have the ear of a politician because some legislature is important to you. But with so many people trying to get their attention, it seems kind of pointless to write an email or send a letter or make a phone call. Or maybe you'd like to sit down and talk to your daughter's coach just about something on the team and something he ought to know about your daughter. But you know that he's a pretty busy guy and there's a lot of other kids on that team and wow, that can be hard to, who has the time, right? Or maybe you want to talk to your internet service provider. (laughs) Good luck with that. You know, a widow in our church, Margaret, um, I was talking to her about her internet and I just said, how much are you paying for your internet? She said, the bill's right there. Wow. She was paying way too much for internet. Because what happens is that price goes up, 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 and up without you really noticing that it has year after year. And so I asked her if I could have permission to navigate that structure. I'll go ahead and call them, talk about the bill. I got the password and all the information I needed. And I sat down and I picked up my my phone off of the charger, my house phone, and I dialed the internet service provider number. And before they answered, my battery died. That's how long it was, right? Man, I'd love to talk to them about that. Day two, I finally got through to someone. I was able to help Margaret out with that. But you and I know that really it's kind of hard to get the ear of people in this world. And so, so we, we work hard to do that with them. And sometimes we let that fall over into God. Like, God, can't you hear me? God, I really need you to do this. God, and we get a little panicky. We get a little worried. We feel like he's not listening. And Jesus says that is not the case. You won't be heard because of your many words. Your Father in heaven knows what's going on. All he really wants to hear is your heart. That's what he's really looking to hear. Kingdom prayers aren't to inform him of something. And kingdom prayers are not really to impress God either. I can remember when my son was applying for a scholarship. He was my first student to do that. In my household, we had a boy and a girl. My son was applying for the scholarships, and he was getting some counsel from actually the school he was going to. And, and the people said, you really need to impress on these essays. I know you're not used to bragging because it's a Christian school, but you really need to brag because you want to impress the committee. That's that way in a lot of life, right? You need to impress customer service that you're an important client if they're going to take care of your problem. And, and <clears throat> you want to put your best foot forward when, you're, when you yourself are seeking a job and impress, impress, impress. You don't need to do that with God. I mean, I want to put my best foot forward when I'm talking to God, but not to impress him. I just want to do it because I love him. But my many words and my eloquence of speech is unnecessary. That doesn't make sense in the kingdom of this world, but that is the way of the kingdom. Prayers in the kingdom are not to impress God. Prayers in the kingdom are to be simple. They're to be honest. They're to be informed. And that's what Jesus delivers when he gives us this example of the Lord's prayer. Oh, and by the way, that's what it is. It's an example. 
I have good friends who go to churches who, or who pastor churches who do the Lord's Prayer as part of their liturgy. They recite it. I know individuals who say, every morning when I get up, I say the Lord's Prayer. I, I know, like, for example, a Roman Catholic priest might say to you, you need to say our fathers, you know, however many there are. And I understand that. Even during the pandemic, <laughs> when, uh, you remember during the pandemic, as early on they said you need to start washing your hands because some of you haven't done it in 10 years. Do you remember that? Right? And, and, and then the question is, okay, how long do I wash my hands? Two times through happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Two times through. Well, I don't want to sing happy birthday to you two times in a row. So when I was washing my hands, here's what I did. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. I just went through the Lord's Prayer. That was my timing device. But Jesus, when he's giving this prayer, he is not giving Steve Shields a means whereby he can time the washing of his hands. That's not his point. It is an example of how your heart should be when you're talking to God. And I want to share five things that you might notice if you give this some thought. Five things about kingdom prayers. And the first one is this. Kingdom prayers balance familiarity and reverence. They balance familiarity, like, oh yeah, I know you, with reverence. Now, familiarity is what I have when I go and visit, you know, maybe a buddy of mine. I might go over to Matt McCracken's, you know, his wife isn't there, his kids are away, he and I are just sitting in the living room, and I might just go ahead and put my feet up on his coffee table. You know, don't tell Kristen I did this, Matt, I'm putting my feet up. Because Matt and I are familiar with one another, and we have a family relationship almost, and he might look at my feet and say, man, the bottom of your socks are dirty and there's a hole in the right one, you know? And I'll just say, yeah, that's the way it is. That's familiarity. And that's kind of a good thing. Isn't it good to have somebody in your life that you can put your stinky feet up on the counter? Counter, don't put it on the counter. <laughs> don't put it on the counter. On a coffee table and they don't mind, right? That's, that familiarity is good. But there are other people that if I went to them, my boss in Punxsutawney or my boss in the national office in Colorado Springs, I would not put my feet up on his furniture because I'd have a different sense of reverence for him. In the kingdom, we, we have both familiarity and reverence with God. There's an age-old problem that happens in every congregation that I've ever been a part of. It hasn't come up here for probably 10 years. But it used to be, people would say to me, in my first church and in this one, you know, when people come into the sanctuary, we should be silent and humble and reverent before God. Okay? And then there was the other person who said, when we come into the sanctuary, I love it that we can meet our friends. I am so looking forward to seeing the newborn baby. That's so cool. I'm going to go over there. And when I'm done there, I'm going to go see Lois and see how she's doing. And then I'm going to go see Bob and see how he's doing. I love to just visit with people. And so there's this kind of tension sometimes that exists between treating the sanctuary as a place of reverent worship and treating the sanctuary as a place where a family gathers together to love one another. Which one's right? Both, both. In the kingdom, there is a balance of familiarity and reverence. And Jesus demonstrates this right when he begins with his first words. In verse nine, he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, got that word, in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, when he says Father, he's talking familiarity. He's talking informality, friendliness. Other places, he uses an Aramaic word, Abba, 
You think that ABBA is a group from the 60s, 70s rather, a pop group from the 70s, that once you got their songs in your head, you can never get them out, right? Yeah. Can you hear the drums, Fernando? There. You're stuck on that for the rest of the day. You're welcome. You're welcome, right? Yeah. No, ABBA is an Aramaic word, and it means daddy, without the maybe over-sentimentality of it. Our former district superintendent, who actually taught Greek in seminary from time to time, when he would pray, he began with these words, Dad in heaven, holy be your name. And then he'd pray his prayer. Because he was emphasizing, and Jesus wants us to see that familiar aspect of our relationship with God. But the very next phrase he says is, hallowed be thy name. And hallowed means holy. And holy is something that, buddy, get your shoes off right now. You're standing on holy ground. What are you doing standing? You should be kneeling. Because holy is separate. It is exclusive. It is awesome. It is powerful. It is pure. It is distinct. It is other. And God is both of those things. And so when we come to him in prayer, we come to him with both of those things in mind. That he is our father and he is our God. And that is the way of the kingdom. Jesus goes on to teach as he's teaching us to pray. The kingdom prayers desire God's will instead of lobbying for our own will. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the absolute opposite of how human beings generally think of prayer. We generally think of prayer as bringing our shopping list, our grocery list to God and saying, will you take care of this? I love this document. It's, not, it's right here. I love this document right here. In fact, I'm the guy who first started it. It's our prayer list for our church. If you look at it, there are 104 items on that document, right? But reading that document out loud to God, that isn't prayer. <laughs> that isn't prayer. It's not just taking him a shopping list. It's something more than that. I, I can count, more often than I can count, I should say, more often than I can count, people have come to me saying, asking this question. Pastor Steve, if praying is just saying, God, do your will, then why do I bother to pray? And that seems like a good question, but the more it seems like a good question, the more I realize that my perspective on prayer is different than Jesus. The Jesus perspective on prayer The kingdom perspective on prayer is is like this. When we say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are acknowledging that God knows better than we know. And that's a good acknowledgement to make. And we are acknowledging, (laughs) we are acknowledging, admitting that God's way is better than my way. And that's a good admission to make. Do you struggle with that? I mean, do you find it difficult sometimes to say, God, here's what I'd like you to do, but your will be done in this? Do you have a problem with that? You're not alone. I've had a problem with that for a long time. And when I have a problem with that, it means probably, for me, I'm just not trusting in God's goodness because I have in my mind that my will is gooder than his will. That my will is smarter than his will. That my will is more gracious than his will. That my will is wiser than his will. Do you see how upside down my thinking is? Do you see how completely backward it is? Jesus is reminding us that God's will is always best. Always best. 
Now, we pray for a lot of things, 104 of them, that are separate from thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I pray for health for my loved ones. I, I pray for justice in our world. I pray for evil to be destroyed, and I pray for good to triumph. I want you to think about this. If I just pray verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, then those requests of mine, praying for health for my loved ones, for justice in this world, for evil to be eliminated, for good to triumph, those requests are satisfied by that sentence. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so really, verse 10 is a statement of surrender. It is a reminder that we, <coughs> we don't pray with fists clenched, but rather with hands open and with hearts open to the one who we trust. And we trust his will. That is not the way of the pagan world, but that's the way of the kingdom. Jesus shows us that kingdom prayers admit our neediness. And I see that in the very next phrase. Give us today, it says in verse 11, our daily bread. Now, we're really trained for self-reliance, right? Like, take care of yourself. All of you that have kids, you're teaching them to make their own bed, and they're doing it right along, I'm sure, right? You're teaching them to rely on themselves, and that is something you should be teaching them. But there's something you have to understand, that the kingdom reminds us that we are never completely self-reliant, that we must rely on God. We must rely on Him. And failure to do so is offensive to Him. I mean, in James chapter 4, James is writing to Christians just like you and me. And in verse 13, he says, Listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go do this and go to that city and spend a year there and carry out business and make money, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a myth that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And here's what he's saying. You are not as self-sufficient as you think you are. You are not. You are not as self-reliant as you would like to think. A couple of the elders at Kerbinsville Alliance, when they pray, they have this phrase they say. You know how phrases come into our prayers and they, they're kind of distinct. I love this one. It says, God, we are a needy people. Have you heard it? If you've listened to our elders pray for any period of time, you'll hear them say that. God, we are a needy people. I think the first guy I ever heard say that was Jim Bell. He started saying that 25 years ago probably. And that's the truth. That's acknowledging what verse 11 says. Give us this day our daily bread. Kingdom prayers show that we're dependent on God. They show we're helpless without God. They acknowledge our continual, our daily need for bread. In fact, in Luke, when it says, give us today our daily bread, the language is almost kind of like this. Give us our daily bread again and again and again and again, daily. Give it to us daily, right? And when we pray those words of verse 11, we're confessing our neediness to God. It is the way of the kingdom. Is this the same as your prayer life? Is this what you're doing every time you pray? <laughs> Let's keep going. Here's number four. Kingdom prayers acknowledge sin and seek forgiveness. Kingdom prayers recognize that forgiveness is part and parcel of the kingdom. That's a great phrase. Part and parcel of the kingdom. That means they are part of the kingdom no matter what. You can't, forgiveness is part of the kingdom no matter what. Let me say it again. Forgiveness is part of the kingdom. It is part and parcel of the kingdom. You see that in verse 12. In verse 12, Jesus has this line. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I want to say to you that Jesus isn't suggesting we should be bargaining with God. That we should go to him and say something like this. Father, 
I'm a really good forgiver. I've forgiven all of the people in my life that have done bad things, and I'd like you to forgive me just the same way as I've forgiven others. Father, what I would like is for you to see how good I am at forgiving people, and then I'd like you to be that good at forgiving me. Let me just say this. We're going to talk about this in more detail at a later date, but let me just say this. If my forgiveness of others is the means whereby God decides whether or not I should be forgiven, I am doomed. I am doomed. Doomed. Forgiveness is not the way of the world, but it is the way of the kingdom. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. When we pray this way, it reminds us that forgiveness is at the heart of the kingdom of God, that it is part and parcel of the kingdom of God. And kingdom people are not just forgiven people, they are forgiving people. And that's what Jesus is saying there. And forgiveness is really essential. Because humankind, we'd like to think we're basically good, but we're not. I was reading an article this week. Uh, Pastor George in town here sent me a link to it. And uh, it was, I, I printed it as a PDF. It was 24 pages long. Uh, an article in, in a, in a U.S. publication, a national publication. 24 pages long. I thought, man, if Pastor George sends me 24 pages, it must be important. So I read it. Here's basically what it was about. It said, our, our society, the fabric is unraveling. And it just seems that our society is falling apart. Why? Now, the guy writing this was not a professing Christian, so far as I know. <clears throat> and he wasn't writing a political piece. He was kind of acting like a sociologist, just looking at our society and saying, why is everything falling apart? And he made this observation. This was not his main point, and I don't want to put words in his mouth. This is what I took away from it, though. He said, one of our huge problems in the past hundred years is that we have felt like humankind is basically good and that they can operate by their own moral compass. And so, he said, you have the Soviet Union that's not behaving well, and we go ahead and say, tear down that wall, Mr. Gorbachev, and he tears it down, and we think, good, now that that's gone, some good people will take over. And that didn't happen. I've been in Russia, and they really don't like Mikhail Gorbachev because they think he took the money and ran. Huh. I thought humankind was basically good. I'm kind of surprised he did that. Remember the Arab Spring? Just in the past five or ten years, how, how, how we said, you know, we're going to go in and we're going to replace these dictators, these evil leaders in these Arab countries, and we're going to overthrow them, and we know what will happen. Good people will arrive. It will be spring. Springtime in the Arab countries. Is that what happened? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. The presupposition that came from our universities, our colleges, and even our public schools, and even our own hearts, even our own hearts, was that people are basically good and they don't need an external moral compass. That is just untrue. Humanity is marked by sin. We do bad things. We are, as the old divines would have said, totally depraved. And because of that, we need forgiveness. It's funny. You might think, because humankind is so bad, we need judgment. <laughs> but Jesus talks about forgiveness in the kingdom prayer. He says, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those with debts, because forgiveness is part and parcel of the kingdom of God. Here's number five. 
Kingdom prayers vocalize our need to be better than we are. Our desire to be better than we are. In verse 13, he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And when you pray those words, you're really acknowledging that on your own, you can't be the person you'd be, should be. That you can't sanctify yourself. That you can't purify yourself. That you need him to do that. That apart from God and his cleansing influence in your life, you're only human. Only human, (laughs) right? Ah, I'm only human. You know, every time you hear someone say that, or you say that yourself, I'm only human. That is a confession of sin. What we're saying there is, you know, there are certain things in my life that when I respond to them, I respond in a way that is not godly. Because I'm not God, I'm only human. And human beings, apart from God, follow their human instincts. And human instincts, my human inclinations, are often at odds with God. So, when we pray these words, we are praying that as we walk through life, God would lead us not in areas of sin or trials that are too deep for us to bear, but rather in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And we're praying that God would lead us in the way everlasting. And he would cause our footsteps to walk in his light. And we pray that because of the doxology that's added to many translations of the Lord's Prayer where it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So what about your prayer life? Is it, is it like this, like what Jesus is saying? And I want to suggest to you, if your prayer life is this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the power and the glory forever. Amen. If that's your prayer, it's probably not like this. And if your prayer is like this, God, this has been a really hard time for me recently, and I just really need you to help me out with a couple of things. First off, my finances are a wreck because I'd like to blame my wife, but I've got to blame me. Uh, and we just need you somehow to bring some more money into this. And you know that we got this kid that's sick, and I need you to take care of him. Speaking of our kids, I wish I'd never had them. And if you could help me with that, that would be good, God. If your prayer life is like that, you're probably not praying the way Jesus is instructing you to pray. How do kingdom people pray? They pray with a balance of knowledge that that is your dad in heaven and he is reverently to be respected. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you pray with prayers that recognize your idea and your desire isn't comparable to his. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you pray with an acknowledgement that you are a needy people. Oh God, we are a needy people. Give us this day our daily bread. And you pray with a recognition that in the kingdom people are forgiven and they are forgiving. That forgiveness is part and parcel of the kingdom. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And you pray with a desire to be more holy, to be more like Jesus, to be a better person, to be a better Christian, a better follower of him. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you pray all of this because his is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.
I would guess <laughs> that if you thought about your prayer life, you might realize, I've been kind of looking at this backward. Kind of like the guy that's reaching around to the other side of the apparatus and he keeps turning his screwdriver lefty-loosey, but it keeps going righty-tighty and he can't figure that out. You've just been holding it from the wrong end and thinking from the wrong end because you forgot that prayer was all about God and you thought for a minute it was all about you. Maybe you've tried to impress him. Maybe you've tried to manipulate him. Maybe you've only been worried about your daily bread and you've ignored the other aspects of living as a human being in the image of God. Can I just ask you to give some thought to your prayer life? To turn off all the noise when you go to prayer and seriously evaluate how you communicate with God, where your heart is. Give some thought to the Lord's Prayer. Recite it if you would like. Recite it with a sense of meditation and a sense of introspection. Use it as an example to express your heart with God and confess your utter reliance on him. I want to pray that you can do that. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and uh, we'll unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. We see God at those words really sum up this whole, this whole prayer, this whole kingdom of yours. That you are a holy God who is beyond, above and beyond what we could think. And you are our dad in heaven who loves us dearly. I pray that this week as we go to prayer, as we find ourselves praying, whether that happens kneeling at our bedside or whether that happens driving down the road or even while we're preparing a meal, when we think to pray, Holy Spirit, I pray that you will speak to our hearts and say, how can I make this prayer conform to the Lord's Prayer? We want to follow your teaching, Jesus. We want to follow this example. Make it so, for it's in your name we pray. Amen.